Hello, and welcome to the podcast, Reversing Diabetes with Elaine, MD. This is episode number 196. We've got four episodes to go until 200. I'm Delaine Vaughn, physician, board-certified family practitioner, former ER nurse, healthcare provider of veteran status, and the host of this podcast. This podcast is dedicated to making available strategies for women who are not quite ready to let go of their longevity, their vitality, their vigor, and their gumption. This is for women who know that life is a gift and they're not ready to let go of that. They're not ready to start that downward spiral into being old and being diseased. Most of us understand that as we get older, the crispness and the exuberance of our stamina might dull a little bit, but we're not ready to blunt it out entirely. When we get a diagnosis like diabetes or prediabetes, we see it as a warning shot and a threat to that gumption, to that vitality, to the spirit that is us. The more we learn about it, the more we realize it has to be reversed to really protect that. This podcast is dedicated to strategy, strategies to helping women do that. So let's get started. Today, we're going to talk about self-sabotage. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that um, I read a book. Um, it's called The Mountain Is You. It's by Brianna Weist. If you've listened to the podcast for a while, you know that I read a lot of books. And let's be honest, when I say read, I always mean audiobook. I listen to it. But um, I spend a lot of time consuming information from books, almost probably to a fault. But either way, this book was money. It was amazing. I highly recommend it. If you haven't read it, please do so. I recommend it highly. You can get it on Audible. You cannot get it at Barnes and Nobles. They were very clear that they don't have that book because it was privately published. I don't even know what that means. I um, got it on Amazon. I'm actually rereading it until I've squeezed every last morsel of information because it's that amazing. So I highly recommend it. We're going to talk a lot about that today. Um, so that's where a lot of this information comes from. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure that you listen to that book because you'll kind of be able to expand on that. Um, before we get started, a number of things. One, there are tree guys working on some trees in my house, on my yard. So I don't know if I've shared this ever before, but I live in a house that was built in 1911. And there's always some project that needs to be done to this house. And it's old. And some of these trees are, I swear, they must have been built, like planted at that same time. And so they're like growing into the foundation and they're growing on the roof. And so I'm having to pull a bunch of them out. And it really hurts my soul to do that. But um, I think it's best to keep my house upright. So we do this. Uh, my dogs are very excited and freaked out by the tree guys. So you may hear them. In addition to that, you may hear chainsaws. Everything's fine. And hopefully, please God, for the love of all that's holy, I hope we don't hear any crashing or anything horribly crazy outside happen. So, but if there's crazy chaos, ah, we're gonna we're gonna work through that. So I hope you can't hear that, but if you do, that's what it is. I also want to tell um, you before we get started, if you are listening to this podcast and you are making the changes that I recommend during this podcast to the diet that you have been eating, recognize if you are on medications for your diabetes, those medications were started for the way you used to eat. If you're making these changes and you're eating differently, your medications are going to have to change. And if that doesn't happen, you can get very, very sick. This can be very, very dangerous, like hospitalized and death dangerous. So I need you to make sure you have a good line of communication with the healthcare provider who's prescribing these meds to you. Make sure you have a good line of communication with them and that they have clearly said, hey, listen, I want you to share your blood sugars with me in this way 
So go ahead and email them to me or fax them to me or call my nurse, whatever that looks like. They will have a way that they want you to do this so they can review those blood sugars and give you guidance as to when to pull you off your medications in a safe way. So again, if you are medicated for your type 2 diabetes and you are making these changes, please get on the phone with your provider that's giving you these meds and have a way and a plan for you to share that information with them so that they can make adjustments to your medications and keep you safe. Lastly, if you have found help from this podcast, if you're listening to this podcast and you're seeing these results and changing your A1C and changing your fasting blood sugars and you are enjoying it and find it helpful, please rate the podcast. Please review the podcast. The more ratings and reviews that we get in the podcast player apps, the more that this podcast gets in the player apps, the more the the podcast itself just gets offered to people. The more it just shows up in the offering when people, you know, search diabetes or reversing diabetes. So please rate the podcast. If nothing else, just go and give stars. I hope it's five stars or four stars or however many stars it is. I hope it's the max. If it's not, and you want to hear something else, send me an email, Delane at DelaneMD.com. I'm happy to listen to any, uh, I love hearing what people want to hear about because that gives me something new to research. So please uh, send that to me and let me know how I can help you better. You can also follow me on Instagram and on Facebook. There's the Delane MD Reversing Diabetes Facebook group. Go there, ask for admission. I don't even know what that means, but I have to okay everybody who comes in there. It's a great uh, community of folks who want to be really helpful. It's just a great place to bounce things off of. Go to that group on Facebook and um, I can help you more there. Also, anything that I do for free, like anything that I do, like just webinars on Monday, there was an amazing webinar on stress and diabetes, and there were a number of women there, and I had a colleague of mine um, teaching breathing techniques, teaching active relaxation techniques, teaching yoga poses, all of the importance behind that and the way that we can actually do these active stress relieving mechanisms or strategies to help us calm ourselves because that really does play a huge role, not only in general diabetes care, but also in general health. Like if we're running around stressed to the max all the time, it's very, very hard to be healthy because you're releasing all of these stress hormones into your system. So, um, that was something that was, you know, announced on Instagram and fed over to Facebook. So if you're interested in those sorts of things, by all means, follow me on Instagram, follow me on Facebook, Delane MD on both places. And you can of course, uh, join a, like, I don't know, subscribe to my YouTube channel. I am broadcasting all of the podcasts live on YouTube, YouTube. It's the Delane MD channel. Also the stress and diabetes webinar, uh, was recorded and posted up there too. So check those things out. There's tons of ways to get help, tons of things that I offer. I really truly believe everyone should be able to live a life diabetes free. And that is what I am committed to making happen and making available to anybody who wants it. So today we're going to dis discuss self-sabotage. We're going to talk about what it is, um, what we're actually doing when we're quote unquote, quote unquote, self-sabotaging. I don't actually like believe in self-sabotage. I know that it happens and I know that's the way that we phrase it. And I'm going to talk about it in that way, but I don't actually believe it's self-sabotage. I believe this is a way that your brain and your 
well, mostly your brain is trying to protect you. It doesn't really happen from a body. This is a brain experience, but your brain is trying to protect you and trying to provide things that you need. And it's the way that it's doing that with the strategies and skills that it has up to this point. That's really what it comes down to. I'm going to give some examples of personal experiences where I've kind of I'm still working on my self-sabotaging behaviors. And then I'm going to give examples of experiences in my own life where I've actually feel like I've done a pretty good job of mastering, not doing self-sabotaging experiences and just the difference between those two places. So what is self-sabotage, quote unquote, self-sabotage? This is an unconscious need that needs to be fulfilled that we're trying to be fulfilled by a behavior that really isn't serving us or that we don't like the result of it's not serving our bigger goals. So to resolve these behaviors, we really have to go through a process of uncovering what we need. And this is absolutely what we do in coaching. This is probably the heart of coaching. Um, you know, I always joke about what the difference is between my group, the Delane MD reversing diabetes group and what, you know, you can get at Weight Watchers or Jenny Craig or whatever. They're going to tell you what to eat. You don't need me to tell you what to eat. You know what's causing your diabetes. What you need to figure out is why you continue to eat those foods even though you're making they're making you sick, right? That's self-sabotaging. And that's what we do in coaching. We really go through the process of uncovering the thing that we actually need and what our thoughts are around them. So sometimes this involves pinpointing a belief or an event or our beliefs about certain events and figuring out the feelings that these thoughts, these beliefs cause in us, and then learning to release that feeling, to let it go. And then in turn, we find healthier ways to meet our needs, right? That unconscious need that is trying to be fulfilled by these behaviors that don't serve us. We figure out a different way, a healthier way to meet those unconscious needs. So self-sabotage is a coping mechanism to manage something that we're afraid of happening, okay? People sabotage great relationships because they want to find themselves and know themselves, but are afraid of being alone, okay? People sabotage amazing professional opportunities because they want to make a different career pathway, but they're afraid they can't live comfortably with that new career, with that different career. Some people will sabotage their healing, the healing of themselves, because they're afraid of feeling a feeling. And this healing is both emotional healing, but also disease healing. We're afraid of feeling a feeling. Great example is smoking cigarettes, right? Like people who smoke cigarettes, they do it because they are afraid of feeling the anxiety that happens when they're not smoking a cigarette, right? We're afraid of feeling a feeling and we sabotage our healing because of that. Self-sabotage is just a maladaptive way of giving ourselves what we think we need without actually dealing with the need, okay? So we have an unmet need or an unconscious need, and we fear the emotion we will feel, and we use these maladaptive ways to manage that feeling without ever dealing with the need, okay? So some examples that I've heard in clients or that I've lived in my own life, I'm sleepy, this is a big one. I did this all through residency. And even I'll be honest to this day, although I protect my sleep so much better now than I ever did in my past, but I had the belief and still sometimes do I'm sleepy and I'm afraid I won't get enough sleep tonight, or I won't be able to sleep tonight. And so in residency, I would absolutely eat to manage it. I mean, like 
I would get a call in the call room and they'd be like, we have an admit in the ER and it'd be 2 a.m. And I'd be like, all right, I'll be down in a minute. And I would literally stop by the cafeteria, get an ice cream, get a cookie, get something at the very least, I'd get a Diet Coke so that I could manage in my brain. I thought I was giving myself energy. I thought I was managing my sleepiness, but I had this thought I'm sleepy and I'm afraid I'm not going to get enough sleep tonight. And it was true. And so I ate because I was afraid to feel fatigued. I was afraid of the discomfort that would come with the being fatigued. And I believed it would give me energy. Okay. We see this with sadness. I'm sad and I'm afraid I won't be able to find comfort. So I eat because I need to feel better, right? This is where the term comfort food or funeral food comes from, right? Like there's sadness and we're afraid that we can't feel that feeling or we're afraid of the discomfort of that feeling. And so we eat in order to manage that feeling. I'm lonely and I'm afraid I won't find companionship. So I eat and because I feel like I need to feel less alone, right? Like I need, this is going to help me feel less lonely. I'm afraid to feel that lonely. And so I eat because I want to not feel that feeling. I have an unmet need and I'm not able to feel it or manage it. And so I do a self-sabotaging behavior to help get some relief from it. Bridget Jones's diary, that, that series of movies, entirely dedicated to this issue, right? Then we have feelings like I'm busy and I'm afraid I won't get it all done. And so we eat to feel more relaxed. This is clearly a maladaptive mechanism. There is nothing you can eat that fixes your to-do list or gets more done on your to-do list, right? But this is where like afternoon snacking. So in our residency clinic, we had a, a candy drawer. There was an entire drawer with multiple bags of candy in it. Anything you'd ever want. Bowls of candy at offices, right? Like this is the same thing. This is why those are there. This is why people struggle with them. This is why women come to me and are like, I just can't stop eating candy in the middle of the afternoon. Why am I sabotaging myself this way? This is why you have a need to feel more relaxed and you have a fear that you're too busy and it's not going to happen. And so you do this maladaptive behavior thinking it's going to make you feel better, right? So interestingly, all coping mechanisms, good or bad, healthy or unhealthy, are just a way to cope. They never solve a problem. When I'm sleepy, eating does not create like rest. When I'm sad, eating does not create comfort. When I'm lonely, eating does not create companionship. When I'm busy, eating does not fix my to-do list, okay? Coping mechanisms are strategies or adaptations to deal with the stress, the feeling of the stress, not a solution to the stressor. And for a moment, you do kind of get a release, right? If you have a stressor at work, say you have a big project due and it's due tomorrow at 8 a.m. and it's 10 p.m. and you still have eight hours of work to do and sleep to get and showers and all of the things you have to do and that time between when the project's due, you want to cope with the stress of it. You can do healthy coping mechanisms like maybe exercise or meditation or a warm bath, and you can do unhealthy coping mechanisms, a glass of wine, a cigarette, food, whatever that might be. But none of these mechanisms get the project done. None of them do. Coping mechanisms are simply strategies or adaptations to deal with the feeling of stress that create some temporary relief. They are not solutions to the issue at hand. And on some level, we know that when we're like, self-sabotaging. 
we know that the thing that we're doing is not fixing the problem at hand. We almost know there's like some incongruity there. There's like incongruence with what we're doing and the problem. And we know that this is not actually going to fix the problem on some level. And it creates this really sticky feeling within us. And that's what we recognize really as self-sabotage. Usually self-sabotaging behaviors come from a long-held belief that we have about ourselves that we haven't examined and we haven't challenged it. We haven't actually questioned it. Is it true? Over time, we become so attached to the belief and the feeling and the action that comes from it that it becomes sticky because we know that it's not true, but we start fighting for it. Okay. So I'm going to use some examples of where this came up for me recently all within the same like 72 hour period, 48 hour period. And it's kind of funny to me now. So I see the place where I have not yet mastered these self-sabotaging behaviors is my alcohol consumption. I will sabotage myself with alcohol. My thought in my brain that's being challenged, but not yet entirely unpackaged for me is that alcohol will help me relax and unwind. Okay. And I don't mind having alcohol in my life. And I don't even mind having alcohol in my life with that fib that it helps me unwind and relax. Although I know it's not true, right? It's not the only way I get that feelings temporarily, temporarily, but I also know that there are ways to create that without using a glass of wine or a beer. Okay. In my brain, I'm like, I don't really have a drinking problem. Like I don't, I'm not getting DUIs left and right. I'm not, you know, they aren't talking about taking my kids away from me because I'm such a danger. It's not like that for me. I truly just don't like the way alcohol shows up in my life when I overuse it, but I really do enjoy the taste of a half a glass or a glass of wine. So I have to really work on unpacking my belief about it helping me relax and helping me unwind. For me in the moment, why it turns into the self-sabotaging behavior is I'm afraid I won't relax. And so I'll drink one glass of wine to help me relax. And then one glass of wine might turn into maybe a second glass or, you know, a second half of a glass. But if I finish that second glass of wine, frequently that will turn into three glasses of wine. And for me, I know left to my own devices, I would drink an entire bottle of wine. Okay. For a brief moment, I have temporary relaxation and relief. I will feel relaxed in the short term, but it's not long-term. Long-term, I definitely do not feel better with a bottle of wine in my body. Whatever happened or whatever I'm believing I'm going to create relaxation for or of quickly dissolves and the rest of my life still has to be addressed. So if I have to address the rest of my life the next day after a bottle of wine, it definitely will be addressed with a headache in tow and maybe some other unpleasant feelings like lethargy and fatigue. And I'm going to get into that, but I hold tightly. I am attached to the thought that I have a lot to do, or it's been stressful, or there's this thing coming up and I want to relax and unwind before of it, or I want to relax and unwind after it. I have a belief that those two things go together and that wine is the way to create that for me. So I feel bad. And this is when the stickiness of knowing 
that what I believe isn't even true because wine does not really create relaxation. Relaxation is always available to me. I will tell you, if you transport me to a beach and I'm in the sun, I do or don't need wine. It doesn't even matter. I'm going to sit there and I'm going to feel relaxed. I can go to a massage and I feel relaxed. I can do meditation and I feel relaxed. At the end of a yoga class and I'm doing Shavasana, I feel relaxed, right? Like relaxation has nothing to do with wine. Wine is not the only way to create relaxation for me. Okay. And there are some things about wine that I don't really like. So where I saw this happen to me was actually last weekend. Um, again, I don't have a drinking problem. There is nothing crazy going on. I'm not like staying up until, you know, 2 a.m. drinking and then being miserable. Although there is a certain amount of misery that I will describe here, but I will, I was having, I'm working this actual coming weekend. So I knew that my weekends were not going to be as relaxed coming up as I wanted them to be. So I was wanting to have some wine and I totally had the belief, like I've got to get it packed into this weekend before the next weekend. Cause I, you know, I want to relax and I know it's not going to be there. There are all these beliefs. So, and of course I hold these beliefs. The problem is, is that I know that when I, I've discussed this on the podcast before, I will frequently get all of my, if I'm going to have a glass or two of wine, I want it in my system if I'm going to drink it before mid-afternoon because I want it out of my system by the time I go to bed. This is where wine, I enjoy the taste of it, but the way it shows up in my life, I do not enjoy. It absolutely negatively impacts my sleep. It makes my sleep un restful at best and not very just kind of miserable at worst. but I hold to this belief, right? So this is where that stickiness comes in. I hold to the belief that I need it to unwind. I'll, I want the wine. I want to argue for the wine and I protect the time as if I'm entitled to it. So think about if any of this sounds familiar for you with your food. Okay. I want the cake. I'm going to protect when I get to have cake, it's birthday and I get to have cake here and nobody can take it from me. Right. This is also how food sounded for me. And this is frequently what I hear in my, when my clients talk to me about this, I want to be able to like my food. I don't want to have to think about it. I want to be able to enjoy it. I'm the same way with the wine. Okay. So I had the thought I have to work. I want to be able to unwind. I was afraid that I wasn't going to be able to unwind. I was going to have all these stressors of work associated with the following weekend weekend. And I was afraid of those, that discomfort of it. Right. And so I wanted to enjoy something. I wanted to have some relaxation and unwind now. So what happened? I, there was one glass of wine and then I was over poured the second glass of wine. It was not a half glass of wine. It was probably over poured for even a full glass of wine. And then I went on to a third glass of wine. All of this was done by six 30 in the evening. I tidied up my house and I was in bed by 9 PM, right? Cause that's something I really do protect as my opportunity to sleep. But I woke up at 3 AM and I couldn't go back to sleep. And this is very, very, I know that this is how it works for me. This is very, very typical for me if I overconsume wine. So I finally just threw in the towel. I couldn't fall back asleep. I threw in the towel at like 4.30 in the morning and I started my day. I got up, ran around, did my thing. By 3 p.m., That so this all, the wine happened on a Sunday. By 3 p.m. on Monday, I was cashed out. I was done. I felt awful. I knew it was my sleeping. I knew my sleeping had been horrible. I had this headache from the wine. I was suffering. That would be the word that I absolutely used to describe my experience. Okay. So what went wrong here? 
Sunday, I was consumed with the following weekend and how it was going to be taking up, taken up with commitments. Right. And I see this a lot in me that, um, I am worried that I'm not going to have my time to relax my time for me. And it's like, I have, that's my stressor to be real honest. That's my stressor. I was fearful that I wouldn't be able to find that time and that maybe wine could speed it along for me. My brain tied the unwinding, of course, with the wine because the wine could speed it up. And my brain got very much caught up in the fear that I'm going to be, you know, pulled in different directions and tired and stressed. I worry that something bad is going to happen on one of my ER shifts. My brain gets caught up in the fear and the stress of that, not in how to create calm and relaxation in my life right? That's where I really need to pour my mental energy, not in stress and odd about the stress that may or may not come, but how do I create calm relaxation and unwinding in my life? My brain offered me wine. I believed it. I believed the fib and I took up the offer. And then of course I paid for it because it never actually fixed the problem and it made me feel worse. So this is where, um, I see the changes that I have made, the things that I have, the coaching around my food that really has unwound and unpacked my self-sabotaging behaviors around food. So my brain definitely on Monday afternoon, when I was feeling horrible, my brain absolutely offered me food. I made a, a post on Instagram about this, about chocolate, about eating the chocolate. It'll make you feel better. And it was so interesting how many people actually said to me, either in direct messaging or on comments, like, no, the chocolate does help me feel better just a little bit, right? In moderation. And yes, if you're not diabetic or struggling with your weight and having a goal of your weight, that gets, you know, like negatively impacted by eating chocolate. And if you're not diabetic and seeing your blood sugars pop up when you're eating chocolate and stimulating insulin resistance, I guess a little bit of chocolate in moderation isn't a problem. Kind of like a little bit of wine isn't a problem, right? Because my liver isn't, you know, diseased because of my wine consumption, but it's not healthy per se. I would never say a little bit of wine is actually doing me something good. It's really not. That's not what the studies show. And if you are struggling with your weight and you know that this chocolate business keeps you from that goal, or if you're struggling to fix your type two diabetes and you know that the chocolate keeps you from that goal, I would offer that, no, it's not okay to feel better with that thing that keeps you from your goal. That is a self-sabotaging behavior. So it's interesting. I posted that on Instagram, but it was, my brain totally was like chocolate cake. Chocolate is the answer. It'll make you feel better. I have practiced seeing this for what it is so long that I saw it immediately. I was like, oh, I've examined these thoughts pretty deeply. I've uncovered that when I'm sleepy or I feel badly, I totally want to eat junk. But I've realized over the years of uncovering that, that I can feel sleepy without eating junk. It's not going to kill me. In fact, I can feel awful. And on Monday, I would say I did feel awful was probably that, that word is more encompassing of what I was actually feeling. I felt heavy. I felt slow. I had a headache. I was tired. I was all the things. But in my brain, when it was offering me food, I no longer believe that lie. That lie is not true. I know that the food doesn't fix that way I was feeling. It doesn't create what I'm looking for. And I know I can feel all of those things. My shoulders are broad enough. I can feel, you know, heavy and slow and a headache and tired. I can feel all of that. I'll be fine. It won't kill me, even when they're uncomfortable. So instead of trying to avoid the feeling, 
like what I would used to do. Like I didn't, I don't want to feel the feeling. I better chase it away with something that's self-sabotaging. Instead, I just tried to hear what the feeling was really trying to tell me. And I listened to it. And what it said was, Hey baby girl, you need some sleep. That's what you need. In my soul of souls, I know that food doesn't fix sleepiness. In the past, my fear of that discomfort drove me to eat food and kept my focus on the food. What to eat? What will be right? What shouldn't I eat? What should I eat? How much? When? All of those thoughts were where my focus was. Instead of focusing on what I needed was getting my butt into bed. That's what I actually needed. So that night, Monday night, I went to bed at 5.30 in the evening. (laughs) And I slept till almost 6am the next day. And I felt glorious when I woke up the next morning was glorious. It was lovely. I woke up the next day. I took my puppy. We went for a run again. That's part of that Instagram post. One of my good friends posted a rather abrupt response to how much sleep I got. It was very, very funny. Check that out. But I had a lovely day because I gave my body what I wanted right? The self-sabotaging behavior is trying to tell you something. It's trying to tell us something. The wine for me is trying to tell me, hey girl, your week is going to be scheduled tightly. You're going to have to make an effort at protecting your downtime, at protecting time for you to relax. This means you call it quits early. You don't work extra on projects. That's not for this week. That can be for next week. This week is not for completing all the projects. This week is for doing what needs to be done and giving you some space to relax. That's actually what relaxing looks like. It doesn't look like wine. And I know that in my brain. This is what the drive to have a glass of wine is telling me. That's what it's trying to say. Hey girl, protect your time. Okay. So people will have this experience Women come to me with these experiences all the time. They're at a restaurant or they're at a party or they're with a group of friends and they don't know what they're going to eat. Like they're afraid about not being able to manage that because in the past they've lost their marbles and they've eaten pizza. And why does that happen? When I ask them, why did you eat the pizza? Well, I didn't want people to look at me funny. I didn't want to stand out. I didn't want it to seem awkward. I'm afraid I won't fit in. It's almost like there's this element of social anxiety that goes with it. And the funny thing about this, guys, the reason that this is so self-sabotaging is that you know in your soul of souls that the people you are hanging out with do not like or dislike you because of what you eat. That is not what it is. And this is why it gets so sticky. Because if you're eating because you don't want them to look at you funny or have thoughts about you, you understand that what you're eating is not creating those thoughts about you, if that's what they're having. It's also not in your control to control what they think about you. And if they do think something about you because you're eating, are those really the people you want to be with anyway? Are those your people? Okay. These are the reasons that this becomes self-sabotaging. Okay. We have a fear that we're going to have a feeling and we don't think we can handle the feeling. And we wrap all of our mental resources up into what do I do to eat versus like, oh, are these even the people I need to be around if this is what they're going to think about us? So this is how self-sabotaging behaviors really, really serve us. They let us know what our fears are. They have us Examine those fears so that we can manage them because we are totally capable of managing those fears. And we start to understand that there's a reason that we're having those feelings. What is the reason? I'm fearful somebody's not going to like me. What does that mean? 
do I care that much about what somebody else thinks? What do I like about me? Am I liking myself enough that it doesn't matter whether they like me or not? Because that's where the power is at, right? The solution is in the sphere. The solution is in the self-sabotaging behavior. It's not the problem. There's so much information there. So going back to the original examples, when I'm sleepy, I know, and you know that food does not replace sleep. But we're so afraid of the discomfort that we believe the lie that our brain tells us when the solution is trying to figure out how to get enough sleep, right? When we're sad, we know that food does not fix the sadness. It doesn't undo whatever's happened that's made you sad. It doesn't bring back a relationship. It doesn't fix anything that's that you're sad about. But instead of solution, the solution being processing that sadness, we're so fearful around the discomfort of being sad that we believe the fib that our brain tells us and we eat the food. When we feel lonely, we know that food does not create companionship. That's not what it is. But instead of investing the time where we need to invest the time in creating friendships and companionship, we fear the discomfort of loneliness so much that we believe the fib in our brain and we eat the food anyway. When we feel we're busy and we're afraid we won't get it all done, we know that chocolate does not fix the busyness. It doesn't create less on our to-do list, but we fear the discomfort of the friction of being pulled in multiple directions so much that we believe the fib and we eat the chocolates, okay? We get some immediate relief from this, but there is not, there's no fix here, okay? So ladies, this is what the power of coaching is. This is what we do when we coach. We're uncovering these beliefs and these reasons why reasons why we do these things. And then we figure out how do we really want to do them? I'm going to feel the feeling no matter. And if I'm going to feel the feeling no matter, how do I want to manage the food that my brain's offering me? Because the feeling's not going away. The sleepy, the sad, the lonely, the busy isn't going away no matter how much food I eat. So how do I want to manage it? That's the power of it. That's what we have to do with coaching. If this is something you're interested in, reach out to me, Delane at DelaneMD.com. I am happy uh, to get you set up for a consult and we can get you uh, started in the program and you can start working on this as the solution. I hope you found it helpful. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to send me a message, Delane at DelaneMD.com and I'll be back next week. Bye-bye.